From the founders of Mod Racing and the Northwest Rally Association, this is the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. My name is Katie Lobkovich, and together with Keto Brillmeyer, who is my partner in life and business, we've built the fastest growing rally program in the U.S. Through our work, we get to meet incredible people, and this show is all about bringing those people to you. Whether you are curious about what it takes to start racing or you want to get advice from the best on how to improve, each episode will have something for you. Today we are talking to Luke Munnell, who is an automotive and motorsports photographer. Luke has been in the journalism, photography, and social media business for many years, and his work has been published in some really cool spots like Super Street and European Car Magazine. In our chat, we talk about some of the skills that it takes to be successful in the industry, crafting your own social media persona, and the potential that he sees for rally on TV. It's a really great chat, and if you're interested in hearing more about motorsports from the media side, you're really going to like this episode. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow along with our race series on Instagram or Facebook at Mod Racing, or you can find us online at modracing.com. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. My name is Katie. And I'm Keto. And today we are joined with Luke Munnell, who is an automotive and motorsports photographer. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Um, so an automotive and motorsports photographer, you just mm-hmm. run around and take pictures of cars? Basically, yeah. That's, That's cool. <laughs> Tell us about what you do. Yeah, so... Um, well, I'll give you a little bit of my background, which I think you already know, but a lot of people don't. So I, uh, I moved out to California where I live now in 2007, and I was a, uh, an editor at Motor Trend Group on uh, Import Tuner Magazine, of all things. So we were doing all the custom import cars and a lot of like street cars and show cars and not a lot of real motorsports. But, you know, I mean, we were everywhere at the same time. So we got to go to drag racing. We got to do, you know, press leads at IMSA and World Challenge and all these fun things. And, uh, you know, I did that for five years, four years, four and a half years. And then I got into the advertising side as a social media manager for Mazda down here. And, and when I started working with Mazda more closely is when I really, I think, started to develop the, the appreciation for motorsports, you know, and started finding ways of how to get into the industry. Three years of that, and I just was itching to get out there. You know, I, I was behind a desk too much. I wanted to be in the field. You know, I was... I was writing more than I was shooting, which is great because I like to do that too. But I just was really itching to just get out there and feel the sun and the heat and the wind and the dirt and the tire smoke and the rocks. And that's it. So I I packed up and I left and I just decided to do uh, freelance photography full time in automotive and motorsports. And I've never really looked back since then. So how do you get your gigs? It's it's a combination of of having to pitch things, you know, so a lot of times there'll be, uh, well, I mean, not so much these days, but back in the good old days when we had events and racing seasons, I would just make a calendar and I would uh, pitch it to different clients, usually editorial, at least to start. And then I would find race teams and uh, organizations that I think would be interested in photography, other ad agencies, things like that. And I would just just send out cold calls at first, emails and just really try to, um, you know, sell the product of photography for social media or for digital marketing or whatever the case is, editorial coverage. And then, you know, from there, you, you meet people, you develop clients, they'll contact you for things. And then it's just a good back and forth of those two I think, ways. So are you pitching both writing and photography now, or do you mostly just stick with photography? I, I pitch both, you know, and, um, you know, for the editorial guys, they love it. They get a good combination. They don't have to make a second call. You know, they get everything buttoned up and it's easy, real turnkey. Uh, for the agency people, 
they don't really take that because they, uh, they have copywriters that specialize in copywriting and then they have photographers that just do that, deal with that. And uh, I think they like that arrangement a little better, which is great for me too, because I mean, I like writing, I enjoy it, I'm good at it, but it does take more time, I think, than photography. So uh, I don't know, I'm a little impatient. The more I can, the sooner I can get out there onto the next shoot, the happier I am really. So you mentioned cold calls a little earlier. Um, a lot of people don't understand, you know, uh, how that all works and how many no's you get versus yes yeah. and how you have to stick with it. But can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's that's the most daunting part of it. And I think that's why a lot of people don't get into business for themselves is because there's an easy 30 to 70 percent uh divide between the no's and the yeses, you know, or sorry, the yeses and the no's. So if you're, if you're making 10 pitches, you should expect seven of them to not go anywhere. And then three of them will, and you'll be fine. That might be, you know, three that you, you can just barely handle three. You know, I think if everybody got everything they pitched, they'd be busier than they think they would, you know, right. but uh, yeah, it's, it's rough, but it's, I mean, if you're prepared for it and you understand that it's just business, it's not personal, then it's easy. Yeah, so you've, we've already covered a handful of things. There's a sales element, there's a writing element, and then photography. I assume as you're prepping for either an event or a shoot, and then after, you probably do a million other things. What are, if you had to summarize sort of your job, what are all the different pieces of the job that you do? Uh, well, I think it starts with just the planning. There's a lot of planning, you know, to make, to make some, I'm going to get a little cream for my coffee here. To make a... <laughs> To make the shoots really go well, there's just, there's a ton of pre-planning and that's one of my favorite parts of it, you know, so you think about the scheduling, you think about, um, you know, when different things within the event are going to happen, where you need to be, you look at the time of day and you look at uh, track maps, for example, decide where you want to shoot, all those things, I mean, even down to booking travel and, and, you know, that sort of thing, it's really a lot of fun, but that's a lot of work too. Um, that's where it starts, I think. And then um, after that, you, you start pitching you know, the clients and finding the business once you know that you can give them something. And then, um, I guess I'm kind of drawing a blank. <laughs> what was the rest of the question? Just what was the rest of the process? Yeah, more just like all the things that somebody, if you're, you're a photographer, everybody's gonna say all you do is take pictures. Mm, yeah. Gotcha. Things. What are the other things you have to do? Those are the big ones. And then, uh, you know, just, just being able to deliver on your product is, is one thing. I mean, if, if you're gonna do it part-time, make sure you have the time to do it. If you're gonna do it full-time, make sure you can dedicate yourself to being full-time. Because a lot of times clients will, will say they want something and then after the event, they'll decide something different fits their plans a little better and you know, they're going to want you to deliver on that. So that's another big part of it, I think, too. Um, and then you know, after the fact, there's always there's editing and there's writing if there's writing involved. And then there's just a lot of um, you know, promotion after the fact. Uh, just social media showing your work off, LinkedIn, Instagram, things like that. And then basically the cycle just repeats itself. So I would say the, the breakdown to shooting versus actual, or sorry, desk work versus actual shooting is also probably 30 or 70 to 30. Yeah. I think I spend most of my time at my desk, you know, gearing up for these things or dealing with them afterward. And then just a, a small amount of time actually in the field shooting. Yeah. Mm. So you say you have to deliver. What's the craziest thing you had to do to get a shot? You know, it's, it's tricky. It's, um, there's not a lot that you can do in, in terms of motorsports. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of places where you can shoot and where you can't shoot, you know, and you got to be cognizant of that and respectful of it or else you just won't be invited back, you know, but, um, but there's a lot of times when you do get to do fun, creative stuff like the cold track time and in between sessions and 
that's where you get all the fun car to car shots and you get to hang out of somebody's trunk while you're blasting down the racetrack, you know, and get car shots of cars like that. So I think that's probably it, you know, um, some of the events are a little looser. So like an IMSA event, for example, you, you don't go anywhere you're not supposed to, but for a lot of the, uh, enthusiast events, we'll say you can get a little closer. And if you're out at a stage rally, you can get right on the, track if you're dumb enough to do that you know so that makes it fun but i mean there are some incredible shots right in the danger zone so it's you know you're always kind of gauging whether or not it's a good idea you know you're going to get an awesome shot if you do it but you know it might be very bad if things go wrong right right and, and, but like when you shoot uh cars for magazines you ever have to like sneak on somewhere and get that <laughs> shot you know absolutely drive, drive down a boardwalk to shoot the car and get out of there before the cops show up yeah and that's something that a lot of people don't know. There's a big difference when it comes to working for uh, editorial clients versus commercial clients. So editorial guys, you can basically do anything. As long as you, you know, survive it, you'll be fine. But the commercial guys, they have to think about uh, location, usage rights, and permits and things like that. So you can't go shoot in front of the Hollywood sign, for example, because if anybody's making money off that photo, uh, in, for like a branded commercial purpose, they'll be sent an invoice by this commission of people who own the rights to the Hollywood sign for example but editorial you could arguably say that one photo didn't make us any money and nobody's really going to take you to court over that and refute it but you know for a lot of brands they have to be very aware of the, their surroundings and backgrounds and usage and that sort of thing interesting that is really yeah. interesting something people probably don't think about and maybe for people who don't know will you clarify what editorial means versus commercial yeah editorial is just magazine shooting uh, for the most part so, um, and that's websites these days too, it's not just magazines, but it's just event coverage, you know, things along those lines. Commercial is, um, you know, Toyota's effort in IMSA, you know, for example, that's, that would be uh, an example of a commercial thing or just an actual, just specifically just getting certain shots to use for print ads, OLAs, things like that. Yeah. And so when you're at a track or you're at an event, you shoot with a spotter, I think usually I've seen you do it. Um, yep. Tell me a little bit about that dynamic and what they're there to do for you. Yeah, so that's interesting. It's fun. Um, the event that uh, we shot at uh, Glen Helen was was a good event because there's a lot of room and, you know, the drivers are, are all really good and they stay away from you. They're never in real serious uh, danger, I feel like, to getting hit by a car. So I don't know how necessary a spotter really is at that point. But if you go on these stage rallies and, and you're in these places where things do get a little hairy and the cars are faster and there are a lot more blind corners. I think a spotter is a great idea. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty much essential, especially for the stage rallies. So, I mean, that's honestly, I don't work with a spotter often because I do a lot of sports car racing and there's just no need. But if you're doing a hill climb or stage rally, I think it's, it's a great idea. That spotter can keep you alive and they'll also tell you when the cars are coming, you know, around those blind corners and you can prepare for that. Are they just like, oh shit, you better watch out. Do you have like a code language? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, a good spotter is probably akin to a good co-driver. Well, they'll, they'll just pull you out of the way if you're not in a good spot. I mean, I've never been in that position yet, but I mean, that's technically the job is to just be your eyes and, you know, make the decisions for you while you're behind the camera. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This is sort of a, we're circling back a little and it's sort of a personal question, not personal, personal interest that I want to dig into, which is you said you create some content for LinkedIn. And I think that sort of as people who dabble between professional and creative spaces, LinkedIn becomes a little bit funny because you are either constantly promoting yourself or yeah. you're creating content that maybe isn't, doesn't feel right for the platform. I'd love to hear what you, the kinds of things you post to LinkedIn. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. It's kind of a struggle. When I when I was at the Mazda agency, and even before that at Import Tuner, we did uh, I did a lot of social media. You know, and those are the early days of it. So LinkedIn wasn't around when I was at Import Tuner, and maybe the last year or two years at the Mazda agency, they had been around. But it's always fun when you have um, just a few things to say or do or show, and you have to find novel ways to do it for each one of these platforms. It becomes a bit of a challenge, you know. So LinkedIn was always supposed to be the more buttoned up, professional, you know, uh, concise place. And you could also, I think, on LinkedIn talk a lot more about the business behind things, you know, and versus, you know, what you would want to do in Instagram or Facebook or something like that. So there's, there's definitely a difference there. Personally, I, I like the idea of, Insta, of LinkedIn. I like the vision of it a lot better, you know, but I don't think the practice has really followed uh, as faithfully, you know. I look at LinkedIn these days and I feel like it's more and more like Facebook. And it's kind of unfortunate because, I mean, Facebook is fun, but there is just a lot of noise and not a lot of signal. And LinkedIn used to be better signal to noise. And now it's, it's kind of not that way. You know, there's a lot of self-promotion that's sort of shameless. There's a lot of like uh, shady self-promotion, we'll say, you know, and, and the reputability of it is kind of falling. You know, it doesn't mean everybody does that. I think most people still approach it with good intentions. Mm-hmm. It's just, if anything, I guess you've got to be more aware of it, you know? Yeah. All right. So let's kind of rewind a little. You've been at this for a little while. I'm curious, what are some of the things you've learned and some of the things you wish you had known prior to, how about specifically going into business for yourself? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, it's funny. I, all these things that I was told when I was younger yeah, as a student or an employee, about note keeping and uh, scheduling and calendars and the importance of all these things. I, I kind of just was too stubborn to embrace any of it before because I thought like, I don't need that. You know, I don't need to write that down. I remember it. I have a steel trap memory, you know? And then once I started working for myself, I realized I, I don't, <laughs> you know, like I need all those things. So having a to-do list and having a calendar and being prompt with emails and calls and things like that, they're very important. I didn't realize that. I wish I would have known that sooner. I wish I would have de- developed a better uh, studying ethic, I, I think, when I was younger. You know, I think that I would have been a little more prepared for things when I was younger. I think that would have helped a lot. I'm glad I figured it out now. You know, I mean, it's better to do that late than never, I suppose. But that's first and foremost the one thing I wish I had a little bit more uh, acumen with when I got into business for myself, which is just the importance of all that, you know, just pre-planning and, and structure. Yeah. So now that you have that under your belt, what are uh, some plans for the future? Well, it's funny. I uh, right before the the virus hit, I was in the middle of this big motorsports marketing pitch, and it was it was all cold calling and mailers and things like that. And I was going to send that out to a bunch of race teams and agencies, and and I did get through the first part of it. I did get these brochures printed and everything sent out. And then literally as they were hitting people's doorsteps, the news was breaking that, you know, we need to stay inside. This is kind of a big thing. Everybody's got to be careful. And, uh, you know, all the plans have to change. So I don't think there wasn't much of a response to that. And I didn't follow up with it because I just didn't feel like it was a good time to do that. It wasn't appropriate. So I'm going to get back into that, I think, in the next few weeks, if it seems like things are going in a direction of opening up and, and getting back to normal. So that's, that's the first and foremost thing. I, I want to reach out to these businesses, explain to them, you know, the importance of using good imagery, tying to that, that to their brand and all the places where you can maximize your exposure with quality photography. And that's, that's the goal, you know, and then hopefully I'll hear back from a lot of those people and we'll have better conversations about how to, how to tailor 
content creation to their brand and, and help them actually see value in it and not just be something that they feel like they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the one part of it that I think is, is top of my list right now. But then, you know, in the meantime, this downtime has been great because it's given a lot of us a chance to just buff up our portfolios and, and get things more organized on the back end. And I've been trying to take advantage of that as good as I can. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think I've made some decent progress. So I'm looking forward to showing some of that stuff off and, and just um, trying to find more, more work where I can. You know, motorsports is going to slow down a little bit professionally. I think the enthusiast side is still going to be there. I think the enthusiasts are, are ready to go, you know, and I think if you tell an enthusiast driver that they have to social distance and they have to do these things so that they can have an event, they'll do it, you know. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out. Hmm. So this uh, marketing thing that you had going was uh, this strictly pictures or there's you're actually going to do some of the marketing for these companies on social media or or what all did it? Yeah, good question. It was actually a little bit of both. So, um, I mean, predominantly just photography, just supplying them with photography for whatever their needs are and, and tailoring what I can provide them to those needs is the first part, but since I do have a good uh, background in social media and especially all the uh, editorial uh, clients I have, I'm gonna try to approach this as a sort of a hybrid system, you know, where I'll say, whenever I meet these, uh, these people that wanna do business and I, and I get these, these relationships established, I'll be able to offer them uh, a little extra, you know, so not just the photos, but some coverage in these publications and so on and so forth. And I thought a lot about it and I think it's really a good way to help pretty much everybody because the editorial guys are always looking for ideas. These guys, the race teams are always doing cool stuff. So if I can help bridge that gap a little bit, I'm, I'm all for that. That's awesome. Um, you're talking about some things <clears throat> that I try and encourage people who race with us to think about. And then coupled with, we also talked about something before we even kicked all this recording off. Um, the idea of keeping up the content, using imagery, making it more intentional. But then also we talked about showing people the real you before we started talking and being a little more genuine and worrying less about being polished. I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you think about either your own social media or the social Mm -hmm. media of someone who's more of just like a normal human, not a big person, and how you would tackle even coming up with a plan for it. It's it's really tough. That's actually something I struggle with personally still. I mean, even... It's, it's easy to do it for a brand, I feel like, because the brand identity is established and, you know, the goals are there and you can very identify, very precisely identify uh, the target market for each post, especially if you're going to get into promoted posts, you know, you'll have different audiences for different posts. So it's very regimented and easy and there's <clears throat> really empirical data there to work off of. But when it's personal, it's tough, you know, because you want your personality to come through and you want your interests to come through and you want a level of your own sense of humor to come through. And sometimes that's hard to do on social media. You know, sarcasm doesn't usually translate unless people know you. So your friends will get these, these sar- sarcastic or satirical posts or jokes that you make. And then a lot of people who haven't met you won't get it, you know, and there's a tendency I think on social media to kind of assume the worst in people, mm-hmm. which is not good, but it's just, I think human nature, you know, I haven't fully dissected it and understood it yet, but I think, you don't have to, you just have to be cognizant of it, you know? So it's tough. I think um, anybody that wants to have a good uh, professional uh, image on social media has to be a little less personal. You know, they've, they've got to pull back a little bit unless they're really clever. And I see some people pull it off and I'm, I'm really envious and I really appreciate it, you know? But most people try to pull it off and it just doesn't quite translate. 
you know, so that's, that's one thing that's tough about personal social media. Uh, aside from that, I think you can't go wrong with showing your work. You know, if you do good work, just put it out there, you know, and that's it. People will see that and, and you know, that'll be the redeeming quality in their eyes, I think, is just knowing that you're legitimate, you're good, you know, and, and that you try and that you care and, and things like that. Yes, I just can't hear that or say that enough. I feel like, especially with people in motorsports, because there's a clear winner. Someone yeah. will get the fastest time. Someone will cross the finish line first. And it makes it really easy to feel like, oh, I'm not, I might not be good enough or more or interesting enough to share my story. When in actuality, what you said right there at the end, which is that you care and you try, like yeah. that is so amazing that you're willing yeah. to say, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do this thing that most people don't do. And I'm going to show the world. Like that's amazing. Yeah. yeah the ways to look at uh, social media, I think is just to look at look at traditional media and then think about all the things that it's left out, you know, the, the two way street of conversation and the look behind the glass and that sort of thing. And that's what you want to show on social media. So, I mean, if you're out there and you're winning and you're, you're like, you're at the top of your game, I mean, you should always put that information out there be proud of your achievements. But if you're not there yet, just show people what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, people love that stuff. That's why they turn to social media to look at content when they do It's because they want to see that more personal stuff, you know? So, I mean, don't be afraid to show that. I do, um, just as an aside, I do a lot with drifting too. And, um, and drifting is a really fun and dynamic community because you have, everything subjective first of all, yeah. but you do have winners of every event and you do have people at the top of their game, but they're really no more popular in the mainstream than the guys who are just making it really fun, you know? And those guys have huge social media followings. They've got diehard fans. They get their faces tattooed on them and all these crazy things. And it's all because they're just showing who they are and they're just doing fun stuff and they're enjoying life. And I think people are drawn to that, if, if not as much, probably more than, than just whoever's winning. Yeah. Totally. Right. So getting your face tattooed on someone else's body, is that is the goal we're now striving for. <laughs> yeah. World, here it is. <laughs> yeah, keto tattoos, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Um, tell us about maybe the coolest project or the coolest thing you've ever worked on that you just, if you could tell everyone a million times about it. Yeah, man, I don't know. There have been so many cool projects. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking that the other day. I, I Just having a nostalgic moment, thinking about all the fun stuff I've gotten to do or see mm -hmm. over the last few years. And there have been a ton. Um, I think when I was at the Mazda agency, they were just changing a lot of stuff internally and, <clears throat> and with their motorsports uh, program. So they had this class called the GX class, and it was this sports car racing project. It was sort of a GT uh, car build, but it was um, all alternative fuel. And at the time, they were doing turbo diesel, and there were a couple electric teams, I think, that I don't think they were really up and running yet. But it was a class that was intended to be just for alternative fuel vehicles. And, uh, and watching these guys bring that program to life from literally just a couple of sketches on a sheet of paper was really cool. And it was something I got to see in the span of like 18 months. It was a really fast project. You know, it seemed rushed, but it, it wasn't. These guys paid really strict attention to detail. And when the whole thing actually did debut, they started winning like back to back to back. Wow. It was a successful program. That was like start to finish, just seeing a, a, a cool idea come to life into a successful racing program was, was really humbling and, and really awe-inspiring. You know, you meet the people behind that build and you realize these are people that know what they're doing. You know, like they take chances. Yeah. But they, they have so much data to back it up. They do so much testing, you know, it was, it was really cool to see that happen. That's awesome. Yeah. So in your, all your time shooting all these cars, there ever been one particular car that 
you just long for? It's a good question too, man. That's really tough to say. Um, I think it all depends who's driving it. You know, you could see a cool car and then you could see the way someone drives it and think I want to be in the passenger seat of that car. You know, that's a ride along I want to go on. But no, if I had to pick one. In the driver's seat? Or the driver's seat, but I don't know if I trust myself in a lot of these cars, I'll be honest. <laughs> it's funny. It's like uh, you guys are probably familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect and that, that inverse bell curve that you see. Yeah. There's a lot of that in motorsports, you know, when I first got into it, I remember thinking like, I want to drive all these cars and I want to race and do all these things. And then when you get a little taste of it, you realize it's a lot harder than, than people think it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So then the tendency is to, you know, be like, no, I, I don't really want to drive your car. I'll break it. You know, that <laughs> I have that feeling. it took keto probably half of a drive back from the Midwest to convince me to race this car in rallycross. And I only accepted because I was like, man, we've been at this a long time. Like he's going to keep. He's going to yeah. keep going. Like, we still have a lot of, we got a lot of ground to cover before we get home. But to that point, what's really interesting, the thing I didn't think about when, before I raced was, I don't know if everybody else is like this, but when I get on a roller coaster, I'm a little nervous. I get on it. It's like this big rush. I get off and literally all I want to do is sprint back around to the front and get right yeah. back on. Yeah. That is how racing is. You finish, you're like, no, 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 I want to keep going. Yeah. I'll never, ever, 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 ever forget. There's these moments in life that sometimes they have a reason. Sometimes it seems like there's no reason, but they just get burned in your memory. And I'll never forget my first time down a drag strip. And that was the exact feeling I felt. You know, you do a burnout and you stage and you're nervous and then you do it. And I mean, let's be honest. I was driving a Honda Civic, probably went through the traps at 95 miles an hour. But I was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. I can't wait to go back and stage again. You know, it was, it's just pure bliss you know and every time i think every first time you do something fun in a car it just has a tendency to stick there you know yeah like that, an is addiction. The, that is the it is and you know it's it's cool to get involved in motorsports and racing by seeing it online and playing video games and things like that i think that's important i think those things help but you have to get behind the wheel of a car you know and once you do you realize like i get it you know i i understand why this is such a big thing for a lot of people Totally. Yes. I, I do have some questions around the circumstances in which landed you in a Honda Civic going down a drag strip. Yeah. Well, I, I told you, like, my, my, uh, the way I got into cars in general was just the, uh, the import craze. I think I got in, like, late 90s, and uh, everybody was just making Honda Civics go fast or Eagle Talons go fast, you know, and, and that's where I came from. We didn't, we weren't really, like, geared towards any particular motorsport we just wanted to have that car that nobody thought was fast that could just whoop up on whatever was fast you know that was our our motivation so my my first car was a uh, honda civic 95 coupe i put a uh, ls engine in it not not the gm ls but like the integra ls engine and nitrous and that thing was fun and um that engine probably lasted for eight or nine months before the piston ring started to fry because the nitrous system was not good you know but that's where it started. And uh, I had a couple of 240s from there, I had a Miata. And then um, every one of those cars, I feel like I, I learned something new about just building cars and dynamics and, and how fun they could be and how different they were and that sort of thing. But that's where it started, you know, just wanting to go fast in that Honda Civic. Have you done anything other than drag racing? Have you done, you know, like road race and have you done hill climbs, rally, rally cross, anything else? Autocross? I've never done hill climbs or rally or rally cross myself. I think um, I do want to start doing rally cross. I think it's one of the cool things about it. It's like going to a test and two night at the drag strip where, I mean, it's a lot more complex, but it's approachable like that. You know, you can go in so many different cars, even a rental I've seen these guys do, and you can just have fun. You know, you can learn it. 
figure it out, you know, especially in places like Glen Helen, you've got a, a really safe environment to do it, which I think is important, you know. I mean, I can't even think about doing a hill climb, but that, that would be great, but that's so far, so much farther down the road of, of learning what I would be doing, you know, at that point, I would like to do it, but um, a lot of sports car racing, a lot of track days, you know, that, that always came with the territory, so that was fun. Even back home, I'm from Pittsburgh originally, so we had uh, Beaver Valley Raceway, I think it was back then. It was a fun little course, you know, Summit Point, West Virginia, not too far. We would jet down there occasionally. And then now here in L.A., we have Willow Springs, which is down the street, and Chuckwalla and all these places that are, I mean, you can just pop in most days in most organizations for less than 100 bucks and have a good day or two days of the track. It's really fun. Right. Yeah. Right. Just so you know, there is a uh, hill climb group that operates, I believe, in NorCal. Um, nice. They have a very low barrier to entry. They actually run their safety program much like solo. So mm -hmm. it's kind of up to you how much safety you want in your car. Uh, yeah. You really want a little more than they require, but barrier to entry. What is the? Oh. What is that group? Uh, they're the. What are they called? The North America Hill Climb Association. I can get it for you. I, I don't okay. remember off the top of my head. They operate here in the Northwest. They Pretty sure they go everywhere from Mary Hill, which is southern Washington, down through Oregon. I think they do a race in Idaho also, and then up, cool. up in NorCal also. Yeah, so, yeah. There's there's a couple couple a uh, couple races up there. So yeah, I'm cool. a gambler. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. He's like, oh, I heard maybe you're interested in this kind of racing. I'm now going to bombard you with it. That's yeah, awesome. by the way, there's a stage rally in uh, Nevada this year also. Uh, that's still, yeah. they moved it to the end of the year, November, I think. So it should, you know, hopefully still be on. But yeah. Be in your, your backyard, so. Yeah, well, they, we have a California Rally Series out here, which does, um, you know, some stage rallies. There's one in Gorman, Gorman Ridge, which is kind of on the way to NorCal. And then there's, I think... Maybe not Nevada, but they have the Prescott Rally, and they have a few other ones, and, and they're really, really fun, man. They're really a great time. And yeah. most people have never heard of these things outside of the, the community that races in them. So a couple of years ago, I pitched coverage of the Gorman Ridge Rally to my editorial clients, and one of them bit, you know, and then the second year, they were like, let's do that. That looks great, you know? So it's fun. It's like this, it's, it's this untapped uh, market to a lot of people, you know? It is. Yeah. We were we were actually talking about this before we got on, on with you that if everybody in the U.S. knew about rally, it would be the most like epic race series mm -hmm. ever. You know, yeah. but, I mean, crazy. And that's all it takes is marketing. Most people don't know. We tell people we run a rally program, and they're like, "Rally, really? So, like, what do you protest?" Like, <laughs> yeah, rally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What? It's funny. You look at, uh, at Europe and, and even Southeast Asia now, and the popularity of rally is just, it's always been big in Europe, but it's skyrocketing in, in Asia and, and just everywhere they take hill climb events, people, people love it. You know, it's, it's like, I, I see the steam behind hill climb as kind of like something that was behind X Games a few years ago, you know, where there's like this, this growing community of diehards and, you know, the, the coverage, the televised coverage or just the web coverage is getting insane numbers. Like people love to see that stuff. You know, so I feel like it's happening. It's just there's there's so much room to grow. You know, yeah. Yeah, we do a, the a hill climb down in uh, Mexico called uh, San Pedro Martir. And it's nice. the longest hill climb in the world. It's twenty miles. Um, that's if you ever get a chance, come check that out. I would love to see that. That'd be great. That, I don't recommend it as your first hill climb, only just because the roads are 
there in Texas. It's, it's Mexico. Yeah. It, <laughs> it is pretty intense. So you have like a boulder will, you know, not while you're racing, but I've come down the mountain and they just kind of cone it off. So <laughs> come around a corner and there's like a boulder kind of jutting out in the middle. Right. Of the and you're like, well, that's interesting. But that wasn't there on the pre-run day. Yeah, but it's a, it's a great race. It's a great bunch of people do it. And yeah. it's in a, you know, magnificent setting. Yeah. Really amazing. That's, That's awesome. They're usually in pretty cool settings. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, the imagery is amazing. I would love to do more of it. You know, I just, I got to get into the business of doing it a little bit better. You know, I, I don't know a whole lot of people that are into rally these days. And after, after the fall of uh, GRC and, and uh, I guess it was America's rally cross after that, it's, it's kind of fallen off the mainstream radar, you know? So a lot of these, these smaller events happen and they're really cool. And, you know, people I think would love to see them, but, it's just hard to find them for somebody that's a little bit removed, you know? Yeah. yeah I think I there's, there's a need for a good like media effort around it. Um, you know, it's something we talk about all the time, obviously, but you know, the, the ARX and the GRCs were really designed for TV. The kind of rally you yeah. is not. And so yeah. but I want you to know, we saw competitive cornhole on ESPN a couple of days ago. So there's yeah. a market here and it just, you know, it just takes somebody who's a really good creative vision to figure out how do you take this sport where people are sort of racing in a singular fashion and bring it all together and make it really interesting. So yeah, I, I think, yeah, oh, not to cut you off, but um, it's interesting because I think that um, the, the televised aspect of, of uh, what you can do these days, now that the tech is improving and, and like, wireless transmitter range is long and all these things. I mean, there's the sky's the limit. I mean, you could really, you could really bring stage rally to TVs like never before. I haven't seen anybody do it yet. I mean, the ARX and GRC was cool, but in the stadium rally, it's, it's easy. You just have your three cameras and you know, you show the, you know, whatever. But I mean, if you talk about putting, putting live stream cameras on corners and in cockpits and in helmets and all these things, I mean, you could really make, a really fun product that people would love to just sit down and watch. You know, I think that the, I think that the, the potential is there now more than it ever has been, you know? So I'm just, it's almost like there's this, this powder keg that's just like, you know, just with this long fuse, that's just burning and burning and burning. And I feel like it's getting close enough where we're almost any day now, this could be a big thing. Right. I mean, have you seen the, some of the drone footage they've been pulling out of WR? It's amazing. Like the high speed stuff. They're like yeah. hundred mile an hour car follows. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And from the soccer side, if you think about it, most of the people who do rally in the U.S. are not pro drivers. They have day jobs. They have families. They have lots going on. So think about like the journey that it's going to take for them to show up to a single race. Like, that is, without a, a doubt, an interesting story yeah. that people want to hear and see. Mm-hmm. You got to get on. Yeah. We hear the story. I would love that. Time yeah. They're great stories. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, at that, at that, one of those rallies I covered. Um, so Dave Coleman, he's a um, uh, engineer at Mazda, you know, product engineer. And I'd known this guy for a long time because he comes from an editorial background too. He's a terrific writer, this guy. And, um, and I saw him at this rally, you know, just in his personal rally car, which I don't remember what it was that he was driving, probably a Subaru or something just cause you know, it's easy and well equipped for it. But he, um, and he went to this rally and he was, he was all like into it and had his co-driver and every, I mean, he was doing everything legitimate, like any, any good driver should, but he just wasn't talking about it, you know? And it's not like he was out there with cameras and this was part of his thing and whatever. He, he was just doing it because he likes to do it, you know? And you see the, everybody that's out there and they have a similar story. Like this guy's, you know, an accountant, this guy's in a, a some, these guys are, you know, whatever, any kind of profession you could think of. 
and they're just out there doing it because they love to do it. And that's the only reason, you know, and it's, it's really kind of cool to see that. Yeah. And if you like think about the amount of work it takes to prep a car, even once it's even built, just prepping between races, like that is a commitment and a half that most people oh, yeah. can't even wrap their head around. Yeah. Yeah. And you're always going to break it. Yeah. Crazy. All right. So coming out of this call, you're going to lead that charge and get everyone to hear about rally and we'll just be over here running our series. It's going to be amazing. Okay. Sounds good. No, I think honestly though, like uh, the Red Bull marketing groups and people like that these days would, would just would definitely find a great deal of success in covering these kind of things. You know, yeah. I mean, it's happening a little bit in hill climb, but it's, it's just not quite as big as it needs to be. And, and, you know, from there, like, I don't know, some of the, some of the best, like you said, Kita, some of the best imagery, best scenery I've ever seen has been at these stage rallies. It's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're on the middle of nowhere and it's, it's gorgeous as it is. And then you have these cars flying down these dirt and gravel roads at speeds no sane person would drive at, you know, and it's just, it's just the dynamic is indescribable really. So there's a lot of excitement there. You just summed it up right there. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Please tell everyone there can find you online. Okay, so I'm just at Luke Munnell all around the web on all the social platforms, two N's, two L's. And then uh, my website is just lukemunnell.com. I'm in the process of updating that uh, now. So it's halfway updated and I think Hopefully by the time this, the, all these restrictions lift and we get back to work, it'll, it'll finally be done. This has been like my four-year project that I've been doing in the last two weeks. So I'm excited about that. But um, that's basically it. Just find me anywhere on social media and uh, check out the website and that'd be great. Love it. I can personally attest that your Instagram feed is amazing. So thank you. For those pictures. That's what I'm talking about. The pictures. Yeah, I try to keep it to stuff. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the quality of the feed. I was talking about the quality of the pictures. Either way, there are some random, uh, random cat videos and things in the stories on Instagram. But as far as the actual page, I try to keep it all, all photos. Love it. Well, thank you again. Yeah, Always thanks. good to see you and hear from you. Likewise, guys. Thanks for having me. It's it's great. We'll have to catch up very soon as soon as we can. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and learned a thing or two from Luke. If you did, we would love to know. The best way to tell us is by sharing the episode. Take a screenshot and post it to Instagram and tag us at Mod Racing. Mod is spelled M-O-D-D because it's an acronym for Motorsports and Driver Development. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you want to support the show, please take a minute to leave a rating and review. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you guys next time.